The Leslie Marshall Show, the only true democracy in talk radio, of, for, and by you, the people. Live nationwide and streaming live at LeslieMarshallShow.com. Call in with your thoughts at 888-6-LESLIE. Welcome to the Leslie Marshall Show. I'm Natalia Abrams with the Student Debt Crisis Center, and this is the SDCC takeover of the Leslie Marshall Show. Today, we're here to discuss the same thing we've been talking about for the last few months, the Supreme Court, and our very much anticipated ruling, which should come down any day now on President Biden's student debt cancellation plan. Today, we're going to be joined by some very special guests to talk through what this means for borrowers and for our movement overall, um, and each of us individually. We will also discuss new information surrounding the end of the payment pause and what this means for student loan borrowers in the coming months. And today, as always, I'm joined by our great executive director, Cody Hunanian, and Student Debt Crisis Center's managing director, Sabrina Collins. Thanks for being here, Cody and Sabrina. Of course, thanks for having me. Yeah, it's a pleasure. I'm really excited to talk through all of this with you all today. And you know, for folks just joining us for the first time at Student Debt Crisis Center, we work to center the needs and voices of student loan borrowers by partnering with allies to impact public policy and once and for all in the student debt crisis. If you wanna learn more about the work that we do at Student Debt Crisis Center, or read through these critical borrower stories, you can visit our website at studentdebtcrisis.org or find us on social media. All handles are at debtcrisis.org on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. So we have a lot to go through today. There's a lot of things that have been going on and I know a lot of anxiety and stress on our team, but also for the 43 million borrowers out there waiting for this Supreme Court decision. Before we get to that, Cody, uh, can you catch us up from our last show? I know you had a great conversation with Mike Pierce from the Student Borrower Protection Center and went over some other things besides the Supreme Court, because there is more going on, even though that's the only thing we can think about. Yeah, absolutely. Um, obviously, you know, there's almost nothing as important as a Supreme Court case when it comes to moving policies forward. But yet at the same time, the student debt space has had uh, so much movement in the last few weeks, for better or for worse, and uh, advocates here on this call uh, have been right at the forefront. Uh, on the last week's or last month's show, we talked about something called CRA. That was a Congressional Review Act um, resolution introduced by some opponents, of, some opponents of student debt relief in Congress, and the goal of that resolution was to uh, block. Uh, President Biden's student debt cancellation plan and, and other uh, relief for borrowers. Uh, the good news there is the president was on the side of borrowers. He vetoed this bill. And we are still waiting for this process to kind of finalize because we need lawmakers uh, to perhaps uh, attempt a veto, but they don't have the right vote. So we're in a good, safe place following last month's conversation. But it's important to note that lawmakers on Capitol Hill were trying to attack student debt cancellation before we even know what's going to happen here at the Supreme Court. So it just goes to show you opponents 
who want to see student debt relief blocked are really desperate right now and really trying to use anything available to them. And then another thing that came up was the debt ceiling agreement. The whole country was talking about what America was going to do to address the debt ceiling. And amongst the negotiations came a proposal to end the student loan payment pause that has helped 40 million Americans manage their debt throughout the pandemic and currently helps families keep a roof over their head as they manage uh, you know, all the impacts of inflation and disruptions to the economy. Uh, that unfortunately was included in the final version of the debt ceiling agreement. And now we're looking at an end of the payment pause in the coming months. Uh, of course, advocates aren't gonna stop there. We have more fighting to do to try to extend relief, uh, but definitely a setback uh, for those who really believe that borrowers need support and still need it now. Thank you, Cody. And starting, you know, with the CRA, it, these lawmakers that want to take away relief, I feel like this is something that we run up against all the time, this kind of whataboutism or this anger at people getting some relief for the pain they've been experiencing for so long, whether it be healthcare issues or student debt issues or immigration, you know, the, all the issues, it's, it's, it's a lot. How are you all feeling right now? I know we're on you know, we could be 24 hours out from a decision or less, 48 hours. How's it feeling being someone that works in this space, being a borrower? Yeah, it has been very tough. I think not only as someone who is working to help, you know, others and advocate on behalf of borrowers, but as a borrower myself, I feel like I haven't properly slept or like had a moment <laughs> of just like, you know, calm for a, a long time. I think we're all very much, you know, anxious and nervous about everything. I think one thing that has been really helpful is our team has been hopeful. And I think we've just been having important conversations and just helping one another to understand that even if this does not go our way, because we know that the partisanship in the courts is just an issue and a lot of people are concerned, um, the, the nationwide discussion on student debt is here to stay. We're gonna continue talking about this. There are people who are now more than ever ready to fight and continue fighting for relief for so many other people out there. And to me, that is the most inspiring thing in all of this. And so would I love to see a positive decision come out? Of course, that is what we are hoping for, praying for, and we're gonna continue fighting no matter what. So for me, it's definitely that anxiety of like what's gonna happen, but no matter what, I'm prepared to fight. And I know that everyone on our team is as well. Yeah, Cody. Yeah, I mean, I second the fatigue. You know, I just gave you a whole update of, of attacks happening in Congress and didn't even mention that we're waiting for the Supreme Court case. So there's so many different fronts in our fight. But Sabrina, so glad you mentioned the hope and optimism, because what I didn't mention was at each one of these, uh, you know, turning points, there have been allies who've stood up and defended student loan borrowers. You know, we have Rep. Ayanna Presley in Massachusetts who came out and said, I want this debt ceiling agreement to protect debt relief for borrowers. We've had advocates continuing to fight to figure out additional relief for borrowers and to continue to keep the pressure on lawmakers and, and Supreme Court justices. So wherever you turn, you can find allies and folks who are fighting, even when it can feel like there are so many attacks against their own borrowers. So I am uh, optimistic, I am hopeful, and I'm anxious because I want to find out where the future of student debt relief lies. But I know and I trust in those who are fighting alongside us in this movement that whatever happens, we will 
continue to push forward. And that gives me a great deal of uh, confidence and uh, a hope. Definitely. Natalia, how are you feeling as someone who has been working in this space for over Absolutely. a decade? And this is such a huge moment in this movement. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's, I mean, I, I second all of your feelings. I've I gone through a range of emotions of like both hopeful and feeling very negative. You know, it's hard not to with the partisan court. Um, but they've had some interesting rulings, and we're going to get into that in the following segments. We're bringing on Abby Shafroth, who's a great attorney. It, it's it, emotional is probably the best word. It's rare, I think, um, in any work that we do that it kind of comes down to this moment. And it's not that this moment will fully define us, but it could change and be, you know, a huge lifeline for so many people. So that definitely weighs on me. Um, but the work, as you were saying, Sabrina, the work's going to continue no matter what the decision is. There's still more work to do. And what we've done in this process over the last few years is build such a huge coalition that was literally handful before COVID of folks working in this space. And now we have more than 500. I think the last count was 530 orgs that support student debt cancellation. So it's not going away. This We have a presidential campaign coming up next year. I think this is going to be a huge, what's called a big impact issue for the presidential campaign. We need to make sure every candidate is asked what their feelings are on this and continue to push President Biden to fulfill his promise one way or another. So I'm that coalition work and so many orgs because this work is not done alone is what gives me hope. And I'm really um, excited for you all to hear from both the borrower side and then from one of our partners, because I think it's by talking to our partners that has given us a little more, a little more calmness. We're still all nervous and a little more hope because we work on this and talk about this every day, but we know you all don't. And we know that that's why you're tuning in today to be able to learn and maybe get you know some sense of relief going into this big major decision. Um, so we're really excited to have you stay with us. Um, you know, Sabrina, I know that you're going to be uh, talking with Shana Hayes. We have Shana, uh, who is a borrower and economic justice fellow, who will be joining in the next segment um, to share her feelings and thoughts. So stick with us, and we'll be right back after this break. If you miss Leslie on TV this week, catch up at lesliemarshallshow.com. Uh, welcome back. This is Cody Hunanian. And this is another Student Debt Crisis Center uh, takeover of the Leslie Marshall Show. I am joined by Student Debt Crisis Center's Sabrina Calazans, and I'm about to introduce another great special guest for our conversation about everything happening in the space of student debt. Uh, we just did a recap of last month's takeover. We talked about what's happening on Capitol Hill when it comes to student loan policies. Not all great news, but a lot of optimism and hope shared. Really looking forward to hearing more about that. Uh, but for now, let me bring in our guest, uh, Shana Hayes. Shana is a student loan borrower whose student loan balance has ballooned to over 
dollars. And you know, Shana, I'm a student loan borrower myself, so you're in good company. After a major medical life event, Shana struggled to navigate the student loan system, especially without the assistance of her student loan servicing company. And after sharing her story and learning more about the issue, she is now an economic justice fellow at the Student Debt Crisis Center. So Shana, happy to have you here. And Sabrina, I know you've worked alongside and with Shana, both as an advocate and to help uh, her share her story as well. So welcome back. Shana, we're so glad to have you. Yes, thank you both for having me. I'm really excited to continue being part of this really important conversation as we move forward today. Yeah, well, I think we, you know, we all have been sharing kind of how we're feeling ahead of a decision and we'd love to hear from you. What is, what is your take on all of this? How are you feeling ahead of a potential decision day tomorrow? Yeah, I think I share a lot of the same feelings that you all mentioned in the earlier segment regarding anxiety and the uncertainty that lies in all of those things. I think what I would add in terms of kind of my personal feelings and beliefs is regardless of which way the decision goes, similar to what you mentioned, um, Sabrina, that I have a, a renewed hope in just the systems in which we are currently building um, and also dismantling others, of course. But um, it gives me hope that one day we will actually be able to live in a country and a society in which we, such as student loan borrowers like myself, will not be kind of crippled by our student loan balances and are able to you know, live our, our full lives that we are uh, have been striving for since we attained it. Definitely. And I, I actually had a chance today to go back and see our initial interaction because I know that you had actually reached out to us and had let us know that you uh, had moved to the DMV area and that you wanted to kind of get in touch with our team and just like learn a little bit more. So I was like reading through that and I was like, this is such a great moment um, that we were able to connect and, and talk about what we were doing. And then you just reaching out and being interested in all of this. Now you're an economic justice fellow with us. Yeah. How has this felt? I know you shared your story kind of with the press and you've gotten involved in so many things, but what was it that drew you to this and really lit that fire for you? Yeah, I think for me, my um, as I kind of have reflected and talked and shared my story more, I have shed some of the shame that, that is associated with kind of carrying the, the burden of student debt and the power that I had felt from just being able to share that gave me feelings that I hadn't felt in a really long time in terms of kind of my professional career. And, and most of that spans education. And so what I thought in terms of kind of what could be next for me and, and how I can do more with, with those conversations, it was kind of a no brainer when you all kind of opened the, the fellowship opportunity and wanted to throw my name um, in the ring there. And so as I looked to kind of get involved and, and I did move to the, the DC area here, um, I'm really excited and, and looking forward to kind of what the future holds for us. Yeah, and I know that in your you know brief introduction, Cody talked a little bit about the details of what your student debt situation has been like. Um, would you feel comfortable sharing a little bit of what that has looked like for you um, with student debt and kind of what you hope would happen after the Supreme Court ruling? Sure. So uh, quick backstory. I went to a small private school in New Hampshire um, as a first generation college student and the first person in my immediate family to attend a college or graduate. And I ended up graduating with a degree to teach high school math. And so I got my first you know, real job out of college uh, and signed my, my life away, essentially, for what I, what I viewed as my dream job. And that undergraduate degree to teach brought with it $100,000 in student loan debt. And my teaching contract um, for my first year to teach high school math at a rural district in New Hampshire was for $29,000. 
um, and being a, you know, naive, uninformed, you know, young 20, 23 year old, I want to say was when I graduated and signed my offer. Um, I had no idea what $29,000 actually meant until I went to, to attempt to live my life and, you know, get an apartment and pay for a car and all of these important things that you have to do. Um, and I really had this feeling of kind of bamboozlement, I guess, is the word that I usually like to use. And um, as most teachers know, they the quickest way to, to earn more money is to uh, increase your education. And so then that, of course, entailed taking on more student loan debt. But it gave me a $10,000 pay bump within a year and a half. And I would not have come anywhere close to that with a basic cost of living raise. And so that is where I, I land today with $150,000 just over that student loan balance. Um, of which um, over 20% of that, so over 25,000, is purely interest that has accrued to date on those loans due to the way that it's continuously compounded. Um, and so it has been a wild journey. And I know Cody mentioned it a little um, briefly, but in 2016, I actually suffered a traumatic brain injury playing ice hockey and had a really, um, the event itself was obviously traumatic, but the experience attempting to contact my loan servicers at the time and kind of figure out like what that looks like, how do I recover from kind of the, the basic financial implications of that was really difficult and made so much more complex than it really needed to be. And so it really kind of sparked this, this interest in how do we do this better for students and, and having worked in the higher education setting, um, I think some of my experience really, really lends itself to the work that we're doing. So I'm excited. Yeah, and I'm so grateful that you know, you shared your story so many times and I think it's so impactful and it really shows why there needs to be changes within the system and why we're really fighting for borrowers and for student debt cancellation. But I've been asking all the questions, so I would love to talk to Cody to ask a few of his own. Well, you know, I, I just love when borrowers share their stories It highlights so many important elements of our work. And Shana, uh, you know, thank you for your courage in sharing, you know, your, your, your health crisis. But I actually wanted to barrel in on the part of your story that is so normal and common, which is like you are a borrower who was seeking an opportunity in a really important, you know, middle class, working class job as a teacher in the education space. Like that is so like typical and normal out there in the world. And yet our opponents would like to frame our issue as um, and borrowers existing in two dichotomies, either they're attorneys and doctors who don't deserve any relief or they're you know, straight up losers who don't deserve relief. And I put that in quotes. That's not who borrowers are. They are everyday people in our communities just trying to get by and, you know, seeking opportunities to better themselves. I think your story is right in there in that middle space that's often ignored. And, and thank you so much for sharing it. So not a question, but just highlighting like that is so important to remember. Yes, thank you, Cody. I will I will just add on to that that I think what I've said now a few different times in various press interviews is the folks that sometimes um, are making these comments regarding kind of who carries student loan debt, who's asking for a handout, et cetera, or whatever terms they may use, are folks that haven't lived the life of a student loan borrower saddled with tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands sometimes of student loan debt. Um, and so they can't actually relate to what that is. And so I think um, a big picture is really, you know, doing a better job of getting folks like us kind of into the, the mainstream there. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, I wish we had more time to hear a story. We'll definitely hear from you again. Uh, stay with us. There's a lot to discuss about the uh, Supreme Court decision around student debt, and we will see you after this break.
Welcome back to the Leslie Marshall Show. This is Natalia Abrams, and I'm joined by Cody Hunanian. And today we're filling in again for the Leslie Marshall Show. And we are now joined by our special guest, Abby Shafroth from the National Consumer Law Center. Abby is the co-director of advocacy at the National Consumer Law Center and the director of its very important student loan borrower assistance project. Before the break, we heard from Shana, a student loan borrower, and how she feels ahead of this very important, critical SCOTUS decision. Now we want to turn towards other student debt news um, first. And and for that, we're bringing in our expert attorney. Um, And we will also make sure to get through some Supreme Court questions for you as well, Abby. But over the past few weeks, Congress has taken several actions that will have a negative impact on borrowers. You know, could you touch briefly on this, but what's been going on? Sure. So I, I think the most the most significant thing, the thing that's going to have the biggest impact on borrowers is um, is, is we saw the, this uh, big debt, debt ceiling blow up where um, Republican members, uh, particularly at the House of Representatives, uh, held in effect held the government hostage um, uh, and threatened to um, to not pay not pay the government's existing bills uh, without without some agreements to to cut spending in a number of ways and one of the things high on the list uh, the, the wish list was um, was calling the cut, cutting the, the student debt cancellation program and ending the payment pause um, I, I think probably at this point, folks know that that they were not successful in um, in getting rid of the the cancellation program that did not make it into the the final final bill that was passed, but the payment pause was included. So uh, the White House and um, and Kevin McCarthy and the House of Representatives uh, negotiated terms of a of a debt ceiling bill or a bill to uh, make sure that the government could continue paying its paying its loans. Are paying its bills, and uh, unfortunately, borrowers, student loan borrowers, got thrown under the bus a, a bit in the context of this agreement um, by uh, by putting into law that the payment pause would end uh, on September first. So that was, the, you know, that was already the administration's plan. The administration had said that 60 days after the student loan um, decision comes out of the Supreme Court or 60 days after June 30th, which comes out to roughly September 1st. I don't know why they have to make it so so complicated and make us do the math um, that they plan to resume payments, but that was always, you know, a bit a bit squishy. Uh, this really locks things into law. Um, and what it means is that on September 1st, uh, interest is gonna start being charged again on federal student loan balances. It has been paused for, for the past three years, but borrowers are again gonna be charged, charged interest by the government and um, payments will will start being due. We are expecting bills to go out to borrowers in September uh, with the first payments due starting in October. So um, obviously that creates a, a, a whole extra level of stress, confusion, and uncertainty for student loan borrowers as they're waiting to find out whether they're going to get the, the debt cancellation that was promised last August what their balance is going to be on September 1st, whether they're going to have a student loan balance at all on September 1st, and what their monthly payments are going to look like. Uh, so that's the, the big thing. Any Anything else on the, the debt ceiling bill before we talk about the, um, the other congressional action? 
Oh, uh, no, and I definitely have follow ups on, you know, what you're all doing at NCLC and especially um, the student uh, borrower assistance center. But yeah, please uh, go into the CRA as well. We have some yeah. time with you, Abby. Yeah, so um, so the, the debt ceiling negotiations was one way that uh, Republican members of the um, of, of Congress tried to push back on and take away the, the student loan debt relief program that the president announced last August. The other way effort that they made to try to pull back this relief from borrowers and um, and pull, pull, uh, and cut the, the program was through something called the Congressional Review Act or CRA, uh, and that through that they they held a vote. Um, and actually garnered majority support of, of, of Congress um, uh, on a pretty, although on a pretty much party line vote, um, uh, to rescind rescind the um, the student debt cancellation program. And that, if if that had succeeded, it would have not just done away with the the student debt cancellation program, uh, but may have also sort of rolled back a lot of the payment pause. And so borrowers might have faced um, retroactive charges for interest that you know would have accrued when they were promised they weren't being charged interest, and they may have lost uh, lost time that they earned towards public service loan forgiveness cancellation or income-driven repayment cancellation, it would have been really a, a, a disaster for, for borrowers and a real slap in the face for um, for, for the constituents uh, of, of many of the people who voted for this, who would really be um, hit hard in their pocketbook. Fortunately, President Biden vetoed, vetoed the, the Congressional Review Act, and uh, Congress was not able to get enough votes to override the veto. So um, that was uh, that was an unfortunate threat but it did not go through, no changes there. Well, Abby, you mentioned there the, the hit to people's pocketbooks, and obviously it's great news that uh, debt cancellation wasn't uh, struck down by, by CRA action, but obviously the resumption of student loan payments, if it happens um, you know, after September 1st, is, is going to have a detrimental impact. I know you all, through the Student Loan Borrower Assistance um, Project and work, are working with borrowers, are hearing from borrowers. So what are, what are they saying to you about their fears, concerns, um, their ability to make payments come uh, you know, after September 1st? What, what's the sentiment that you're hearing? There's a, a huge amount of worry um, and it's really understandable. Borrowers haven't been required to make payments on their student loans since the pandemic started more than three years ago. And in that time, a lot has changed. <laughs> Um, uh, we know that that a lot of a lot of borrowers um, are renters, and their rents rents have gone up significantly. Rents have gone up on average by about three hundred dollars uh, since since before the pandemic. That's roughly the average student loan payment. So the amount of the money that people were putting towards student loans, they've been able to redirect to to their rent into increased um, uh, costs of gas, food, everything that that inflation is inflation. inflation. Yeah, hundred yes, exactly. percent. Yeah, exactly. Um, so so that that's a tremendous source of stress. There's this question of where will the money come from? Uh, you know, a lot of people their their budget is already stretched all the way. And many student loan borrowers don't have, you know, an, a bunch of assets or, or a pool of savings that they can just draw from uh, to, to help cover to help cover a monthly budget shortage. Um, that's you know the fact of having debt. Most people who have debt um, uh, have debt and do not have the, this wealth or the savings to fall back on. That's why student loan borrowers um, are are really acutely uh, 
at risk whenever there's a, a, a financial um, surprise or disaster like the pandemic. This is part of why the cancellation program was really important. And I think that's something that is underappreciated. There's a lot of talk about student loan borrowers and an assumption that everyone's a student loan borrower is, um, is a college graduate and is somehow um, really, really financially secure. But when we look at the data, uh, you'll find that, that people who have student loan debt, um, their financial security looks more like the average financial security of someone with only a high school education uh, mm -hmm. than it does look like the average college graduate. And that's both because not everyone who has student loan debt is a college graduate, uh, and because the people who have student loan debt who are college graduates are more likely to come from families with limited financial resources, and that's why they have the student loan debt. Um, so they're really starting from behind. And when, when the pandemic hit and there was tremendous economic disruption, these are Americans who were really hurt by that and who are still trying to recover and to come back. Yeah, I know at our organization, we surveyed borrowers and time and time again, you know, the I, I, savings is such the wrong word, but the, what they didn't have to pay with their student loans, they were using for basic needs. Like that is what came up on our surveys every single time. Um, I'm sure, you know, we've seen all seen the crazy surveys where they say people are going on vacations. You know, you can get 100 people to say that, but that is not what we're hearing and the struggle that borrowers are feeling. And it's definitely one of the reasons that we have stood by the fact that we have to cancel student debt before payments resume. And I know that can sound contradictory. I can't speak anymore today. Um, but I think that's something I'd like to get in, you know, post the break, why canceling debt will help people resume repayment. And then we also really want to talk with you, Abby, about how you're feeling about SCOTUS personally, what your read on the tea leaves are. Um, you know, I guess real quick and 10 seconds or less, like, how are you feeling? Give me one word on how you're feeling with the Supreme Court decision. Anxious. <laughs> that seems to be the common theme. Um, so when we come back from break, we'll be talking with Abby Shafroth about everything Supreme Court decision for this really big decision on President Biden's student debt plan. I'm Natalia Abrams filling in for Leslie Marshall. Uh, we will be right back shortly. Follow Leslie on Twitter. Just go to www.twitter.com slash Leslie Marshall and we'll be sure to share your tweets. Well, welcome back to the Leslie Marshall Show. This is Cody Hernanian from the Student Debt Crisis Center. I am joined by SDCC's President Natalia Abrams. And last segment, we brought on uh, Abby Shaproth from the National Consumer Law Center. Thank you, Abby, for joining us. So happy to have a legal expert mind with us to talk about some of these topics. Thank you for having me. Of course. Well, before yeah, we, we were saying, oh, sorry to cut you off, Cody. Yeah. We were just saying in the first segment that, you know, we want to provide to our listeners what we get from talking with yourself and our other partners that, you know, gives us a little more calmness than I think um, everyday folks have because we talk about this all the time incessantly and work out every scenario. So the, you know, little bits that we can give to give anyone a little bit more breathing room right now is what we're looking to do. Absolutely. And before we dive into the final topic, which is obviously the Supreme Court case and what everyone wants to hear about this week, I did want to give you an opportunity, Abby, 
uh, Abby, to tell us a little bit more about what NCLC is working on and where folks can go to learn more about your work right now. Yeah, th thank you, Cody. Um, so the National Consumer Law Center uh, is um, a, a nonprofit that focuses on consumer protection and understanding all the various laws on, on consumer protection and helping um, helping lawyers uh, represent clients who who um, have been subject to scammed, hurt, otherwise taken advantage of by predatory financial companies and products. I focus on student loans. That's my that's my big focus, along with um, uh, three other members of our team. And one of the things that we're excited about is we just relaunched um, a fully redesigned uh, website that is aimed at student loan borrowers to help um, to help make sense of this really complicated student loan system uh, that we're in. So it's called studentloanborrowerassistance.org. I'll say it again, studentloanborrowerassistance.org. Uh, it has tools both for, for borrowers and for advocates who work with them. Uh, and we're, we're trying to, to really make it, make it easier to figure out what, what your loans are, what the statuses are, who to call for what, where to send complaints, and what your various options are and walking through repayment plans, postponing payments, preparing for, for the end of the payment pause, and the various discharge and cancellation programs that are available. So we hope that that is a helpful resource to borrowers in this incredibly um, confusing and challenging time. Well, I even know before the update that website has been critical to us and it we used a lot of you know the stuff for advocates we used that to help build our workshops and our outreach for student loan borrowers with repayment and defaults and public service loan forgiveness so I'm so grateful that you in this really important time have built you know and are updated an already phenomenal resource. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I, I second that. Uh, but obviously what's at the top of mind for everyone, um, other than managing their loans, which will come into focus the months ahead, is what's happening at the Supreme Court. So Abby, why don't you just set a ground level explanation of where we are at in this fight to pass that cancellation through the Supreme Court? Sure, absolutely. So um, there were, after after the, the president announced the cancellation pro program last August, um, there were several different lawsuits filed challenging the plan. And uh, many of them have already been thrown out by the courts um, and rejected. Uh, but two cases did make it up to the Supreme Court, as I'm sure everyone is all, all too well aware right now. Um, the two cases are, are called Biden v. Nebraska, which is a case brought by um, six states uh, led by Republican attorney generals who are challenging the cancellation plan, uh, as well as a case called Department of Education v. Brown, which is brought on behalf of two borrowers who claim that they want more cancellation, even as they're asking the courts to strike down the program entirely and give cancellation to no one. Um, that case is backed by uh, a sort of billionaire um, ideological uh, group, the, the so-called Job Creators Network. And the, the Supreme Court took, took both of the cases and had both of the cases argued on the same day. Uh, so it's possible that we'll get sort of one opinion addressing both cases, but more likely that there will be two cases released, two opinions released and, you know, one for each case on the same day. Um, uh, where we are now is that 
We are at the very end of the Supreme Court's term. It works on almost like an academic year. And all of the cases that have been argued uh, before the court this year are being sort of wrapped up most likely by the end of this week. It's possible they could push into next week, but I think we, we expect them to be wrapped up this week. Uh, we know that the Supreme Court uh, plans to announce more decisions tomorrow morning, Thursday, uh, June 29th, around 10 a.m. Eastern. Uh, so I think um, many of us will be at, at our computers watching, watching <laughs> intently. Um, and where can actually folks watch? Because I know, a lot, you know, if folks want to join in with our yeah, incessant yeah, viewing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. So the Supreme Court will put the decisions up on its official w website. And I think it's supremecourt.gov or, or something like that. Um, but if you are if, if you like to have the real real time updates from um, uh, from reporters who cover the Supreme Court, SCOTUS blog uh, is another website where um, uh, where some Supreme Court reporters who go into the courthouse and hear the, hear the decisions even before they're uh, added to the Supreme Court's website, they tend to give real-time updates. And so that's where many people like to follow along. Um, and they'll provide some, some quick summaries as well. Uh, so, so those are options, and of course, it'll be it'll be all over the news everywhere when right. it comes out. These uh, America's watching. These are these are really big deal cases. You'll have um, to be off the grid to miss it. I was saying that earlier because it's yes. going to be everywhere. And what what can borrowers and Americans ex expect? Yeah. So, in in both cases, uh, the the Supreme Court is considering two questions. The first question is whether the people who people or states that brought the legal challenges to student debt relief have the legal right to challenge the program in the courts at all. This is a question known as standing. Um, and if the courts decide that none of these parties actually have the legal right to to challenge cancellation in the courts, then the case, that should be the end of it. Um, the cases should be dismissed on that on that basis, and we wouldn't even reach the question of um, of the questions about the, the the challenges to the legality of the plan. It would simply be be a matter of nope, you don't have the right to challenge these in courts. The court doesn't have any role uh, in in hearing your challenges. And um, if that happens, then we would expect the Biden administration to be able to move forward with the cancellation program. So that's the like. That's the, the happy, positive scenario uh, of a victory for student loan borrowers. If, on the other hand, um, the Supreme Court decides that any one of the parties does have a legal right to challenge the program, then they will, then the court will move on to the sort of big substantive question of whether the emergency powers that Congress gave the Secretary of Education through uh, a law known as the HEROES Act gave the secretary the authority to establish this debt relief program. Um, and that's what the, the, the big battle is about um, uh, between the justices. Now, if we get to that question, then I think the prognosis is unfortunately grim. Not because, not because the secretary doesn't have the authority. I think that the Department of Justice really convincingly demonstrated um, mm -hmm. that, that the secretary does have that authority, that the HEROES Act really, through its plain language, um, explicitly gives the Secretary of Education the authority to give borrowers debt relief in response to a national emergency, uh, which is what, what happened here and was thoroughly documented the basis for it. Um, however, uh, having having gone, gone to the arguments and listened to the justices, it seemed very clear to me that there was a strong ideological split 
among the justices. So there are six justices who are appointed by Republicans and who have a sort of conservative philosophy. There are three justices who are appointed by Democrats and have a liberal philosophy. The three justices appointed by Democrats all made very clear that they think this program, that the law is clear, that this is a clearly legal program, that the president had full authority to, to implement this debt cancellation program. And the uh, other, other justices um, expressed a lot of uh, skepticism and in fact, almost anger. Uh, there was a lot of talk about how, about the fairness of the program and the justices views on the fairness of, pro of the program. Um, and it seemed very clear that there are some justices who just disagree with the, the program and are eager uh, to find an opportunity to strike it down. So, so that's, that's the bad scenario. <laughs> uh, and I think we see one of those two things. And really at this point, right. I, either is possible. All right, well, let's hope we, you know, we talked about that in the first segment. We are absolutely hoping for the best. And either way, we will, our groups are gonna keep fighting, um, but we have the hope. So Cody, you know, take us out. Thank you so much, Abby. Yeah, uh, today was a great show. We heard from borrowers, we heard from advocates, and now we've heard from legal experts. But this work continues. There's not enough time today to even get into all of it. So if you want to continue fighting alongside us, visit studentdebtcrisis.org or follow us on social media using the handle at debtcrisis.org. Thanks again. This was another great show. Leslie Marshall Show Takeover by Student Debt Crisis Center. Bye, y'all.